welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 301, recorded May 19th, 2019. So today we're doing, uh, as we did last week, uh, the uh, UK comic strips that were published in Joe 90 uh, magazines from uh, 1969. So we're doing the next three, which is stories four, five, and six in the the big um, hardcover omnibus that uh, I think it was IDW put out, right? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, uh, it is IDW, definitely. So, yeah, so uh, enjoy these uh, so far. I mean, they're I would say they're better than the uh, the gold key. The I think they take the stories a little bit more seriously, but but they're usually pretty brief. And the way that they're told in basically two page uh, issue, two page per issue, uh, it does get a little serialized where you have to explain what happened in the previous page. So uh, the previous week's issue, so you get a little bit of that, like we did in the U.S. comic strips, right? Yeah, so these uh, Joe 90s were monthly books of some kind um, that had multiple different comics, I guess, inside of them, and Star Trek was just one of them. So right. they tended to be one page per issue, uh, or one little, well, yeah, I, I guess one page. It's like basically a two-page spread. A two-page spread? So okay, fine. Two pages, because it was on two pages with the um, spine in the middle. Well, they did a darn good job of not showing the seam, I must say. Well, unfortunately, in the book, because of the seam, a lot of times, like if the word balloon carries over yeah. from one page to the other, you have to really stretch the book out in order to read what, what they say. Right. So probably with a magazine with only, you know, 20-something pages, it's easier to lay it flat so you don't have that uh, trying to see trying to see the cr- in the crack. Well, you're right. I mean, as some of them. Okay, so I'm I'm kind of thumbing through because we've only begun these. We're only in the first uh, six or right. seven uh, issues. Some of them have 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 uh, a lot of space, and it looks great. And then there's others that that are that are right in the crack, aren't they? Mm. Oh well, right in the crack. Anyway, right in the crack. Anyway. Um, yeah, they're pretty good. They're 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 still a little schmaltzy, and 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 the biggest thing I notice is definitely in the beginning issues. They do not have the full picture of Star Trek, because Star Trek started in the U.S. and then what? What a year later it started in. Uh, in Britain, no, I guess a couple of years of it, sixty nine. Right. But, but the thing is, the the initial ones, uh, the shuttlecrafts don't look anything correct is are not correct looking at all and there's there's some things like the enterprise itself looks right but there's a lot of other things that are just not consistent with the tv show right but then and, yeah i was gonna say as you pointed out last week the that joe 90 was all about uh thunderbirds and things like that so a lot of oh. their 
<laughs> a lot of their, I think the uh, shuttle designs and other things have that influence exactly. more than Star Trek. Exactly. But finally, in these issues, we've we I, I think it was a uh, storyline, maybe the maybe the middle storyline, maybe five or six. We finally see the Galileo Seven, uh, with the correct shape and everything. So um, it took some time. But eventually, things start getting a little more consistent. At least in the shuttlecraft, which I was very happy to see the Galileo 7. Yeah, it must be in the last one. Uh, okay, yeah, you're right. It's in, it's in the 6. Yeah, you're right. Okay. I, I didn't even notice that, to tell you the truth. I was still focusing on 4 and 5, which has the very, very weird-looking... Yes, uh, very space inconsistent. Space bugs, as they call them. Space bugs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, so it, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, it's still, I think, aimed to kids in a lot of ways. Sure. sure. So, um, exactly. Anyway. Anyway. So, uh, just to follow up on what we talked about last episode, we talked about there was this random page where Spock was shooting at uh, some crew members that had gone space crazy or something like that, Me and there's... then, and then there was a burning clown in the middle of the page that we couldn't figure out. <laughs> why that clown was just there. Uh-huh. So I asked uh, Rich Hanley, no. who, um, Good. who was part of the uh, restoration team that, that put these books together mm-hmm. with the old issues, right. with the old um, stories. Because right. I asked him, I was like, was it, a, was it a thing that month for the issue? Something about a clown, you know, find the clown, something like that. Uh-huh. And uh, his guess is that it was just a printing error. And then he pointed out that if you look at the panel... It appears that the clown is covering up something that the characters are referring to. So he, he feels like it's just um, a complete mistake. Hmm. However. So somehow that clown fell onto the page. <laughs> however, in yeah? in this week's comics, one of them does have a clown. Oh, does it? It does. Ooh, you'll have to point that out. So I'm get... not sure if this clown thing it. is really some kind of Easter egg or something. But there is a clown. I don't know if it's the same clown, but there is a clown in in today's uh, stories. Huh. In one panel. I totally missed it. So I'm looking forward to you pointing that out. No problem. I will do that. Cool. I will do that. All right. Good. Good, good, good. All right. Well, you ready to get into issue four? Let's do that. Okay. So I'm doing uh, storyline number four which is made up of top-secret issues or excerpts, uh, the Star Trek bits, from issues 15, 16, 17, and 18. So this one's made up of, of 18 uh, issues of uh, top-secret Joe 90. Uh, let's see. So I'll, I'll just go over some of the credits. Uh, uh, volume 1 editor and designer uh, Dean Mullaney... Color Restoration by Lorraine Turner, Associate Editor Bruce Canwell, Introduction and Contributing Editor Rich Hanley, Publisher is Ted Adams, and uh, it looks like Angus Allen was the writer for these, and Harry F. Linfield was the artist. While entering a new planetary system, the Enterprise is attacked by a missile barrage. Significant damage is taken before the attack stops and other ships approach, one of which is allowed to land in the Enterprise shuttle bay. 
the aliens that get out facepalm themselves in the forehead and say it was all just a big mistake. They thought the Enterprise, that proves to be nothing like any ship in their solar system, they thought it was a ship from their dreaded enemies. The mistake would have happened to anyone. The alien named Ari says he used to be the leader of the two planets in the system until a betrayer named Earth, IRF, overthrew him on planet Nufo. On the planet Hytar that he still controls uh, is currently at war with planet Nufo. Ari appeals to Kirk and his Federation as an unbiased third party to mediate peace talks between the two worlds. Kirk begrudgingly agrees to lead the mediation, which will give Spock and the crew more time to repair the ship. Since damage is bad enough that the Enterprise is dead in the space, they need to delay any further attacks. Kirk takes off in a super-sleek shuttlecraft, the likes of which has never been seen in any Starfleet shuttle bay. On his way to the talks, he encounters heavy fire that destroyed the unarmed shuttlecraft. The attacking ships look like they're from Nufo. Kirk ejects from his exploding shuttle and is recovered and returned to the Enterprise. They beam a landing party of four men down for some odd reason, who of course end up being captured. Earth accuses Kirk of siding with Hytar. While repairing the ship and figuring out next steps to get their four crewmen back, the Enterprise is again attacked by ships that look like the same as the previous attackers. It looks like Hytar is attacking again, but they can't be sure. They are even able to land boarding parties on the Enterprise. Finally, sick of turning the other cheek, Kirk brings the full weaponry of the Enterprise to bear on their attackers. Before long, the attacking ships are either in pieces or retreating. The boarders have been defeated and marched off to the brig. Kirk gets Ari on the line to explain himself. He says it's not his people, but when Kirk beams him aboard, prisoners salute. some of the prisoners salute Ari. Kirk throws Ari in the brig and decides to invade Nufo with shock and awe. They take over significant portions of the planet and force the Nufo leader, Earth, to surrender. After a Nufo assassination attempt on Kirk fails, he brings Ari and Earth together and offers to stop the attack if all parties agree to open elections and abide by the results. They agree to it. Later, after elections take place and elect some clown from a third party, Earth and Ari accept their loss of power, but are given a role to play in the new clown party-led government. As the Enterprise departs the now happy solar system, Kirk makes a lame observation about how sometimes it takes a cosmic calamity to bring out a feeling of brotherhood. Spock replies that what happened in this solar system is proof that the captain's observation is correct. Yes, indeed, sir. Excuse me, Spock, but there's a little something brown on your nose. The end. All right, so you're saying the clown party? Yes, I'm saying the clown party. (laughs) 
Yeah, take a look. Yeah, take take a look at that last uh, panel. Okay. Yeah. And I'm looking at it. I don't see any clowns. Those are just what they look like. Uh, look at the guy. That's just what they look like. The guy that has his hands up in the air. He yeah, looks like a blue clown. Blue with orange hair. <laughs> no, he's white with orange hair. But whatever. I mean, the main point, look at the guy. He looks like a clown. I mean, look it's, at him. But that's nothing like the other clown that was what? just pasted into a random panel. Uh, well, you can't see his feet, but I bet he's got long shoes. <laughs> no, look at him. He looks like a clown. But he looks like the other guys that are on the previous pages and panels. Eh, blue eh. with a long head and the, the green or the orange hair. And I would say that he does not have a tall head. He doesn't even look like the other guys to some degree. Look at his head. And, it, and yeah, his hair his is like, is like out. Huh? Yeah, I agree. His head does. His forehead looks smaller, but yeah, that might forehead, just be a bad panel. Eh, maybe. But his forehead may look smaller. Uh, his face looks white. He does have the orange hair, but it's more like, it's a little bit more like out in the air a bit. It's not as well, well combed. And uh, is that a beard? I'm not quite sure. Maybe he yeah, has a beard. It's a beard. But uh, yeah, he looks like a clown. <laughs> to me. Huh. Yeah, well, I see what you're saying. I just don't agree, I don't agree with, what, you with what I'm saying. But I'm saying, I think, I think that is commentary. Just about how <laughs> most politicians are clowns, personally. But, that uh, might be very well be it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the way I read it, anyway. So. That's funny. Anyway, what do you think? What uh, do you think the issue? issue. Yeah. Uh, it was. Or the story. Uh, my main thing that I liked a lot, mm-hmm. and it was complete coincidence, and maybe it's because I'm looking too much into it, yeah. is uh, this shuttle design looks exi- almost very reminiscent of like what Voyager and uh, Enterprise E ends up kind of looking like, where it's kind of a streamlined saucer section that just kind of tapers into the engineering section and whoa, 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 then has whoa, whoa, whoa. the nacelles that what, come out to the side. Okay, what are you looking at? Oh, on the first page, the okay, the, let me, let me the weird shuttle page. that Kirk has. Oh, that thing! It looks a lot like the Enterprise E and Voyager, at least in the the profile and and kind of the general shape. Oh, it's okay. That's interesting. I I, I find that it looks like nothing like any Starfleet vessel ever. Ultimately, yes, you're right. Oh, but it, it has two nacelles. I, I agree. Same, it's got two. It's same, got two nacelles. Uh, same design or the same aesthetic as as what Voyager will end up having. Now it's supposedly a lot smaller and it has a you know view window you, in the front like a, like a jet or something like that. But you, uh, you think this looks like Voyager? I think in profile it looks a lot like Voyager. <laughs> when you see it coming out of the shuttle bay and you just see it in profile, I thought it was almost the exact same as Voyager. Or Enterprise E, some, somewhere around there. Not uh, exactly, obviously. I mean, it's not. It's not it. It's all sleek and smooth and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it. It looks like a uh, a racing, like a racing something. Sure. I mean, it, it looks like a sleek, uh, racing thing. It, it looks impractical. I mean, it looks great and cool and everything, but I mean, it doesn't look like it has much space for cargo. Um, 
And how does it land exactly? Well, they show it. They show it landed, or they show it in the launching bay, and it's just well, the, it's on, the top it's like part on a rack. somehow on it, the. It looks it touches like it's the like ground, a, and then the cells are floating. Oh, well, it looks like it's on some kind of uh, launch track or something. Right. Uh, but there's no landing gears. I mean, nope. it, it 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 looks like it's the front of it is just sitting right on that launch track or something. And somehow it's heavy enough to offset the nacelles that are just kind of floating. Exactly. Up. Yeah, the, the whole back of the ship uh, is swept up, like, higher in the air, which makes it look cool. It's just all that weight back there should pull the thing down on its butt. Right. But it doesn't. And Unless look, it always has the anti-grabs on. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe it is uh, somehow uh, magnetically attached to that track. Because you can see when it comes out of the ship, which is very cool, by the way. Um, it comes out... Is that the saucer section it's coming out of? That's not the back of the ship. That's not the normal place where things come out. It's it's a circular tube. It actually reminds me of Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica. How yep. Vipers are launched. Exactly. Which is cool and everything, but it ain't Star Trek. <laughs> I just thought it was cool. I mean, yeah. I, I agree that it doesn't look like anything Star Trek-y, but right. I still liked it. Yeah, it, yeah it's fine. It, it's good to have creativity. It's just... Okay. <laughs> and then the the space bugs because you you see the space bug or uh, on that same the, before its launches the uh, Kirk shuttle launches you right. see the space bug which is infinitely more practical it's even got like repair arms or something on the front of it and it looks like a like a yellow cab it's kind of curvy and it's got the white and uh, black alternating checkers on the side it's kind of funny hmm. <laughs> anyway yeah. Um, so we, we, we do get a full frontal face shot of Sulu, and he looks pretty good. Looks fantastic. Yep. Yeah. Uh, much better than how they drew him on the cover, which is ugly. And I don't... I almost bordering on oh. race. Almost bordering on racist. You know but, what? I'm looking at the cover, and I went through those uh, those six pictures quite a few times before I figured out which one was Sulu. Yeah, second from the left. Yeah, yeah but, but I went through it. I kept going, well, he's not even on the cover, kid. Yeah. Like, oh, there he is. <laughs> yeah, everybody else looks pretty good, but <sighs> there's just something about the open mouth. I, I don't know. It just doesn't look like George Takei. I mean, it does, but anyway, this looks better. In, no, inside, inside the, the the issue, he look, it looks much better, um, and he's kind of like in an action thing as he's saying, "Captain, look!" So that looks pretty good. I would listen to him. I would listen to him. I I would. Um, and so the alien ships look kind of like gliders or something. Yeah, it looks like those things you would have when you were a kid, where <laughs> you would pump the little uh, the air pump. It was, right, it was like you would hit it, and then it would glide off. Yeah, kind of like a, a, an old air hog or something. Or I guess air hog is the new product. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, the one that was just, pretty cool. Just had a little pump that you would punch and yeah, yeah. Off. Uh, definitely, it looks like more something designed for uh, atmosphere than a spaceship. Because it does right. have wings. Exactly. But, exactly. And, and that's probably what they, a combination of both. They probably go in the air as well as space. 
Anyway, um... Yeah, that was the thing, like, in Star Wars, the TIE Fighters. Uh-huh. It's like, if those were ever in the atmosphere, they would just get torn up. Because they, they're these big plates on the, si- on the side of a little ball. So if you're thinking about that flying around in space, no atmosphere, it would fly great. But in, in an atmosphere, if you had to turn real quick, those those uh, solar fins or whatever they're supposed to be oh, would right. pop right off. Right, 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 right. Whereas right. the X-Wing looked like it could be in both atmosphere and, and space. Yeah. <clears throat> the only thing about the X-Wing fighters is um, those, quote, wings, the, the X part, mm-hmm. they just look like they're flat. They're flat, rectangular uh, things that go out to where the uh, where the lasers are, what whatever kind of uh, guns sure, those sure. are, and and real aerodynamic wings are not just straight flat rectangles. Uh, there's a curve; they're, they're they're more curvy on the top and more flat on the bottom. So uh, my only comment on that is really not wing like, but um... anyway, but yeah, yes, I can see yes. that. Yeah, yeah, the. Yeah, the TIE fighter doesn't look like it makes any sense in uh, in in air, in an atmosphere, and I don't think it makes much sense <laughs> in space either. <laughs> but I mean, you can make ships any any shape in space, I guess. But, sure. I mean, like a big giant cube. You could. That, it doesn't have work. any wind resistance. So exactly. Why not? Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, and then then you know, Star Trek always has the shuttlecraft, which just looks like a, a shoebox. Exactly, and Fall, and falling and, from the heavens, and, and and even the little wing on that, uh, the stubby little side things that come out are really just uh, part of the the pylon for the nacelle. Right. Uh, they, they don't look aerodynamic either. <laughs> anyway. Right. So so, anyways, uh, yeah. So um, we haven't really talked about the story. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think? Ah, eh, eh, yeah. So uh, two planets, they don't get along together, and uh, the Enterprise just walks into the middle of a of a war, interplanetary war. Right. Yep. And, and then it's solved and up through, in one page. And through gunboat diplomacy, uh, <laughs> the Inter- Kirk is able to take the Enterprise in there and kick the butt of one of the two planets. With only the Enterprise, and and anyway, it's just a very it's just a very uh, gun do- gunboat diplomacy kind of situation. You would not see Picard doing this, my friend. Oh no, unless he was he had no other option. Right. I I do find it funny that these comic strips are kind of inconsistent on how powerful the Enterprise is, because mm-hmm. cause here it seems like all these ships can't can't uh, hurt it at all. But in the last issue, they were easily taken down and dismantled by some alien group. Remember, they just like completely took the Enterprise apart. Yep, I remember that with those with those little ships. And then in the next issue, it seems like the Enterprise goes down pretty pretty easy. Yeah, well, maybe it all comes down to the um, capabilities of their foes. Exactly. So mm. if these are lower tech ships, I mean, there are a lot coming in at the Enterprise. Like buzzing bees, but if they're relatively low technology, they don't have shields or something. You should be able to pick them off, but hmm. right. Maybe maybe that's it. 
I don't know, but yeah, it it it. it but one thing it tends to be kind of diplom uh, consistent in is if Kirk is in a position that he has to use force, uh, he does it. I mean, right. I mean, they've invaded multiple planets, right? So far. Oh yeah, yeah. Almost every issue involves them. Well, no, not the girl. Not everyone, but, but yeah, most of them. Yeah, I mean him, him overthrowing the government or whatever. <laughs> exactly through force, <laughs> mostly. I mean, it was good he was able to get them together diplomatically, but only after he had, you know, basically almost taken over one of the two planets. Right. And what is the deal? I mean, uh, even the quote "good guy" planet, um, it looked like they had attacked the Enterprise a second time, and then, and then the leader said, "Oh no, not us." Uh, but then some of the captured people that tried to board the craft uh, or board the Enterprise um, were, like, saluting him or something. So the, right. so even the good guy's a lying pus bag, it looks like. Exactly. They're, so, they're bad, too. And, and then at the end, they're just going to go with, oh, okay, sure, we'll stop fighting. We'll, we'll abide by an election and a third party wins and no problem. Come on. <laughs> I, I do like that the third party won, though. Oh yeah, that that was great. <laughs> we need a third party system here. We exactly. need that for the US. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh yeah, other than that, that's all I have to say about this one. Uh I think the space battles look pretty good. Yeah, they're pretty brief, but yeah. 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 Yeah, and all the weird ship designs I, I really like, mm-hmm. even though they don't look Star Trek y. But yeah. uh it is nice to see them. I mean, just to see something different than... Uh, yeah. Because, I mean, let's face it, the shuttlecraft is ugly. So oh, yeah. these these big red buses or bugs or whatever they call with uh, the fins and the giant nacelles and engines or whatever. Right. They, they do look kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it was something to help sell the story to a UK audience, which is used to the Thunderbirds. It's like, hey, this kind of looks like the Thunderbirds, at least some of the ships. So maybe that was part of it. I don't know. Right. Uh, the 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 names of the planets kind of seemed weird. Nufo and Hytar and things yep. like that. Just kind of kind of weird names. Well, they're alien. Oh, okay. They're alien, but they still speak English. So that's good. Or is it Esperanza? Oh, Esperanza. Or is it the universal translator that's taking care of everything? Probably. All right. You ready to go on to Story 5? I am. Yeah, one thing in general about these, I don't have a huge amount of commentary. Yeah, me either. Okay. Uh, like I said, I like them. Uh, I, I enjoy them, but I also know that I'm not their target audience. Cause yeah. This was written for kids of mm-hmm. 1969, so... Okay. Uh, yeah right. So yes, yeah, not even my country. So uh, exactly. totally different uh, mindset. No, but anyways, I, I'm just like you know what? It's a little action adventure story that's told in two page segments. I mean, how much how much story are you really expecting to get? Yep. So uh, I I go with it. Agreed. Whereas like Gold Key, I know I'm also not the target audience for that, but you know they had a. 23-page story that they were trying to tell, and if you can't tell a good story in 23 pages, you know, even in the 60s or the 70s, I'm like, eh, maybe you could have tried harder. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. 
So, all right, uh, let's go on. Uh, you ready? Yeah, I just want, wanted to comment commentary that just said it seemed like Gold Key was a high volume kind of situation because they had uh, I know they had Land of the Giants and uh, Lost in Space and all these TV shows which they uh, turned into comic books and they were just cranking them out sure so yeah they were the uh the IDW of the time, right? That <laughs> their whole thing was to get well, as many licenses as possible. Well, okay, but, Planet of the Apes. Uh, yeah, but I really would not. Okay, so but that's the only way they're like IDW. <laughs> IDW actually ha- tries to have quality. Yeah, but I mean, have comics. you read Marvel and DC comics of the time? Uh, they're not that good either. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, the 60s and early 70s was not a good time for comic books because. Right. Um. They had to fight with TV now, right? Because back in the, the 40s and 50s when it was radio or comic book, mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the sales of the comic books back then, they're so big compared to what they sell now. Um, I mean, even the biggest comic book that comes out in the last 20, 30 years doesn't compare to what how many issues they were selling back then. Right. Uh, because there was no other competition. So then in the 70s, you had movies and TV that were easily accessible to all the little kids so i think the comic book industry kind of took a hit as far as quality because now they're like hey nobody's reading them anyways or whatever <laughs> and it wasn't until like the 80s where they're like oh no we could just do something different that you can't really get on a tv screen or or a tv show right so i don't know so like i said i think the 60s and 70s was a, was a bad time for comics but that's just me because i didn't grow up at that, that time well i did I, and i thought they were awesome <laughs> Yeah. But you liked the gold key when you were a kid. You yeah, well, yeah, I, I was return. really young. Yeah, it's, that's when I was really young. I had, you I had no taste Titan. back then. <laughs> you knew you liked Star Trek, and you knew you liked... Uh, and here was Star color, Trek. Colorful Look. pictures, so that you got everything you needed. Exactly. Look at the flames coming out of the back. Yay! <laughs> Just like in my imagination. Exactly. Okay, next one? All right, ready? Yeah, let's do it. So story five was told throughout uh, Joe 90 issues 19 through 22. Uh, these came out between May 24th of 1969 and June 14th of 1969. And as far as all the credits go, they're the same as the last issue or the last story. As far as I can tell. So the story starts with the Enterprise crew uh, being welcomed on the planet Sty with a huge parade and banquet. The leaders are very. Uh, the leaders are showing all their gratitude towards these visiting Earthmen. Uh, during the festivities, a man named Ruff of the Galactic Union Patrol arrives, and he tells Kirk that they are not welcomed here, and that Sty is part of the Union and will never join the Federation. Uh, when Ruff leaves, the Sty leader tells Kirk that they have to follow Ruff's orders because they have all of their children at some. Union Military Academy that's off-planet. Kirk then vows to return the children. Later, the Enterprise arrives at the school planet, and an away team of a bunch of unknowns take a shuttle down. So not not the normal group of people that you would expect to be on an away team. Uh, Once they land on the planet, they're confronted by a bunch of the children cadets. Uh, Kirk orders them not to use their weapons um, on the attacks, so the away team is captured fairly easily. 
Kirk then beams down himself along with a small group of people to try to free the crew from the attacking cadets. Uh, but once they break free and they're making a run for it, a ship flies by, drops a giant net on them, and they're captured. Uh, the captured crew are then marched into holding cells while Kirk is taken into a lab and hooked up to a chair. So during the march, uh, Kirk was able to open up a communication with Spock. So Spock is now hearing uh, the Union troops lay out their plans to brainwash Kirk and send him back to the ship as a double agent. Spock, emotionless as ever, listens on while Kirk screams while in the chair and being having his brain electrified. Uh, Spock knows that he must pick his time carefully to free the crew and his friend. Ruff then takes the brainwashed Kirk to the cell that, where the Enterprise crew is. Ruff hands Kirk a phaser and tells him to kill the Federation crew. Uh, to everyone's shock, Kirk is willing, and he grabs the phaser, and just as he's about to press the firing stud, Spock appears with a security squad. A huge hand fight ensues, but ultimately Spock's forces prevail, and they capture Kirk and subdue the Union troops and cadets. Spock then takes Kirk back to the chair and undoes the brainwashing, and then he destroys the machine, though he does say that he wished he had more time to study it but it was just too dangerous to keep intact. The Enterprise then returns the captured children to Stai, and Kirk turns down another parade and banquet in their honor. The end. When I first heard about the uh, multi-planetary political organization, the Galactic Union, mm -hmm. in, this, in this story, I, it, sounded, it sounded a little bit familiar to me uh, about the Orville, but then I double-checked, and that's the Planetary Union. Uh, so, uh, okay, so not the same thing as the Orville. Okay, fine. So, but the Galactic Union, that name Galactic Union, does, that sounds awfully uh, ambitious, doesn't it? We are the Galactic Union. So, uh, these guys are, uh, I think these guys have a long-term plan to take over the galaxy. Right. Well, good for them. <laughs> Good for them. <laughs> so they're so, decked out in very uh, Roman-esque clothing. Yes, I agree. So that soldier at the beginning that, that comes in on the dinner, he's got definitely a soldier, a Roman soldier-looking helmet. And little skirt thing, too, right? Oh, he's got the skirt thing, too? Okay, there you go. There you go. Yeah. It toughens him up. Right. They put him in skirts, toughen him up. Yeah. So I kind of like this one as far as... Um, you know, that there are other political factions out there that may or may not recognize the Federation as being this, uh, uh, you know, great thing to, that everybody should just join blindly. I mean, so they're, they're their own little union of, of obviously more than one planet uh, kind of doing their own thing. Kind of right. makes sense to me. I it mean, I think that sense. that kind of stuff would have happened. It, it makes a lot of sense that they would come in contact with basically like another version of the Federation. Only they sort of did. Only they were they tended to be empires. So the Romulan Empire, the Klingon Empire, um, the Borg Collective. Although the Borg, well, I want to get into the Borg because that opens up a bigger conversation. But. Um, yeah, I, I don't remember the 
Kirk and Company ever did they ever come into contact with uh, a political union of planets like in this story? I don't think they did. No, no, not that I can think of. Hmm. I mean, uh, aside from the ones you mentioned, but they were empires. Yeah, yeah, the authoritarian, uh, dictatorial. Um, hmm. Anyway, yeah, so, I, I yes. agree with you. That 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 is interesting. And so the and then I even liked the military school aspect of it, you know that because that's how, you know that's how you you know indoctrinate a whole new generation into your way of thinking is mm-hmm. by taking the children and and you know teaching them your values and then sending right. them back home, and then they're going to enforce your values as opposed to what your the previous generation exactly. values were. It's a smart way of taking over everything. Right. Without too much violence and, and things. But I didn't really care for the brainwashing aspect, and it was kind of unclear. Uh, are they brainwashing the kids, too? I think they are. If, if so, then why didn't Spock unbrainwash them like he did Kirk? Um, Maybe he didn't. He just didn't say it. <laughs> I don't know. But that, that's a good detail they didn't bother addressing. Right. So then I was just thinking that maybe maybe Kirk's the only one they've actually had to brainwash um, so far. Well, um, although they could have... I, I had the impression that the kids were brainwashed, too. Although, I will agree that with enough uh, conditioning and enough time, they probably could have done it without a brainwashing machine. Right. Right. And if they did brainwash them, then I wish they would have said, you know, Spock was going to use it to unbrainwash all the children first before they bring them back instead of instead of his very weird comment about, oh, I wish I could take this up on the Enterprise and study it longer, but it's just too, too dangerous. Too dangerous. Yeah. Uh, well, from a scientific, intellectual standpoint, he's interested in how they were able to achieve, uh, be able to be able to do the brainwashing. No, but yeah, he recognized that it's too dangerous a tool. No, I agree. I agree. I understand yeah. that. It's just it just seemed weird that. Um, that was what he was focusing on, and and not the children, because I was all worried about the children. Right? Were, were they brainwashed? Were they not brainwashed? Was it just conditioning? Because that's why they're taken off planet for their whole childhoods, kind of thing. Right. Um, and if it was a brainwashing, then they didn't need to keep them that long. They could just bring them back one for one day, and then send them back like they were going to do Kirk. Yep. Unless they wanted that leverage on the on the planet to say, "Hey, we still have all your kids." I guess they would still want that. Yeah, but in the end, I agree with what you said before, is they want to reintroduce these kids back into their uh, their homes, right. uh, the, their, their home planets, so they could be a tool to take over or, main, or maintain control. Exactly. Yeah. Right, and you, set, you bring them back as adults, right? So you keep them until they're 18, and then you, you, you send them all back home. And right. then now the the new generation of adults are going to, uh, uh, you know, be in line with your your thoughts and not what your what their parents were thinking. I don't right. know. Maybe I'm thinking too much into it. Right. It is a four page book in a, in a kid's. <laughs> sure, and, and and really, it's not thinking through a lot of things. I mean, what happens when when Kirk leaves? I mean. Oh yeah, they're just going to come. They're just going right back. They were so, able to take all the children once. Why can't they do it again? Exactly. Um, so it's like, okay, thanks. So unless you're going to leave a 
uh, it, it's kind of like the U.S. in Afghanistan or uh, or other parts of the world. Yeah, great job. You, know, you took care of the uh, the dastardly terrorist organization, but as soon as you leave, they're going to come right back. So it's so it's fine. It's great. You know, we had a little this little feel good moment at the end, um, but that little planet's going to get overrun again. So I thought uh, Spock in profile looked a bit like Dick Tracy with a Mo Howard haircut. Uh, Oh, yeah, where? Yeah, when he tells Bailey he is heading to the transporter room. Eh, okay. Yeah. Not quite as big a nose as Dick Tracy has. No, no, but but look at that. I mean... The squinty eyes? the, The squinty eyes, the... The lower lip is a little extended behind the up, beyond the upper lip. Obviously, he is. Um, I mean, if you just if you just kind of put your finger over the ears and stuff, that's a little bit like Dick Tracy. Yeah, but Dick Tracy had that hook nose, so okay. I mean, that was fine, his fine, that fine, was fine, his fine. Uh, his trait. Exactly. That was his. That's what made Dick Tracy Dick Tracy. Well, that's not the only thing, but yes, that is part of it. No, I, I get what you're saying, though. Um, let's see what else. I think Kirk or I think Spock didn't have to let Kirk suffer as much as he did. I think he could have beamed down that security force <laughs> sooner, earlier. <laughs> right. Uh yeah. So you figure he did it for fun? Uh for attention. You had to have another two pages. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for for story length. Good point. Right. Good point. There you go. Well, plus it was a, a good character moment to just show how emotionless Spock was to be right. listening to his friend. Yeah. Going through the pain! Pain! Um, another thing I think was a bit ridiculous is it's great that they caught the uh, the group in the nets and stuff. It's just really... How are those nets going to stop you from pulling out your phaser and shooting all those people well, that, are, that are coming at you? Yeah, Kirk told him not to. That's well, why. stun, hello, setting on stun. And quite frankly, if you've got a phaser, wouldn't that be a great tool to easily cut your way out of a net? Exactly. I mean, you should be able to, the phaser should be able to cut through those things like butter. Yeah, you just put it on heat rock setting, and it's just like a consistent beam. No, it's, it's the net cut setting. It's, oh, they have one of those? It's right beneath the heat rock setting. <laughs> and then I mean a lot of these issues have been really bad at the the Federation crew getting kidnapped or whatever captured mm-hmm. and then having all their equipment and um, weapons taken away from them mm-hmm. and yet they always have communicators so it's not like it's their badge like you can just hide it you know that if you didn't know that the Next generation badge was also a communicator. You might not have taken it off somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But here, I mean, they even show a communicator, which is looks like a tricorder. Uh, it's huge, and yet somehow Kirk was able to still have his when yeah. it was after they were captured, brainwashed. In yeah, and then the uh, the praying mantis and the last issue were doing did the same thing, where they they let the the crew keep all their weapons and and equipment in the zoo. Oh right, yeah. It's like, so. th- didn't you realize that those were weapons? Hello? 
All right. Hello, Mantis guys. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, it just seems weird that that's a common thread that they 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 don't take all the equipment off of them. Yeah. Well, it, never let logic get in the way of a good story. Uh, I went to a uh, a panel one time of Stephen Amell who plays Arrow. On, oh yeah. Right. On Arrow. Yeah, yeah. And uh, his big mantra mantra was. Uh, Good decisions does not make good television. Because <laughs> <laughs> people kept coming up there and he's like, well, what were you thinking uh, when when your character had to do this? Why would they not just do this? Because that makes more sense. And he's like, yeah, you're absolutely right. But good de- good decisions does not make good television. <laughs> so I was like, so anytime we're watching a show and, and they make a boneheaded decision, uh, right. my wife and I will say, good decisions do, does not make good television. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. All right. I don't really have anything else to say on this one. You? Me neither. I enjoyed the artwork. I think I think the artwork in all these are are very good. I think it's pretty good. It I, doesn't I match Star Trek, but I like no. it. No, but but it's the still, characters do. Yeah, the, the the drawings mostly match the actors, so that's good. And then the Enterprise always looks good, um, and then everything else is up for grabs. It always looks good. It just may not look accurate to what we know of a Star Trek, in my opinion. Right. Where the Enterprise usually looks good and is usually accurate. Right. And the people are look good and it's usually accurate. But then beyond that, <laughs> it's everything's up for grabs. Right. I got you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Shall we move so on? So let's do number six. Okay. So this one is a bit long. So, uh, storyline number six is from Joe 90, Top Secret Issues 23 through 30. So we have eight um, eight uh, bite-sized story pieces that all go together to form the one story. Okay, so this one, it's pretty, it's the same uh, creative team. So, Captain's Log, Stardate 481246. Uh, Wait a minute. This pen. Darn it. It's out of ink again. Darn these cheap Andorian pens. Okay. Got a new one. Though main computers registers no fault, four scanners have been found completely disabled. The mystery grows, uh, and they were all in perfect order, and Spock! Kirk is taken aback. Why did he write Spock's name on the cellulose page of his physical logbook? Stranger still, why is he writing in a paper logbook? Kirk goes to the bridge, where Spock reports that the most recent diagnostics on the scanners show they check out as fully functional, yet they detect nothing. Kirk shrugs the mystery off for the time being and goes to sickbay, where Dr. McCoy asks Kirk to sign some paperwork. In addition to his signature, Kirk writes, Spock must die. Kirk can't explain why he wrote that. McCoy suggests that Kirk needs to get his mind focused on something, some task that will get his mind onto something productive. Kirk leaves McCoy, who wonders if the captain is losing his marbles. McCoy decides to keep a close eye on his captain. Kirk decides he and Spock will go on a little spacewalk to check out the sensor arrays firsthand. 
As the inspection continues to find nothing amiss, Kirk moves to the underside of the saucer section, where he etches into the hull the happy hallmark greeting, I must kill Spock. Spock comes around to see what Kirk is up to, and Kirk attacks him with the metal bar Kirk used to write the message with. Kirk says he can't stop himself. In the scuffle, Spock is knocked away from the ship and into open space. Kirk turns to get help to rescue Spock, but notice that Spock's trajectory away from the ship just stopped dead. With a recently acquired thruster pack, Kirk jets out to Spock, who observes the Enterprise is enveloped in a big black bag made made up of an unknown material. Spock cuts it open with a knife, and through the opening he sees normal space. They also notice that the cut has started to mend itself almost immediately as it was cut. A third voice says, It's useless, Earthman. You are trapped. They turn to see a humanoid outline that looks to be made of fire, like a flattened Johnny Storm or a red angel. The single form splits into multiple little red alien forms. The alien says his people are superior to humanoids in every way except in constructing ships. They intend to take the Enterprise for their own. It goes on to say their natural telekinetic abilities allowed them to move Kirk's pens and made him wield that metal bar. They hope to get Kirk to kill Spock and then the crew to imprison Kirk for murder, all the easier to take over the ship. Kirk orders Bailey to fire the ship's phasers on the aliens, no matter how close he and Spock are to them. The phasers have no effect, and in reprisal the aliens start to form black skins of evil around Kirk and Spock. Encased in the black skin, Kirk is able to use the thrust pack to move he and Spock back to the ship. Once inside the airlock, the black skin unexpectedly dissolves away. Spock explains the black skin formed around the ship due to the power from the ship's nacelles when they entered the cosmic cloud. Then again, when the phasers were fired, that power discharge formed another skin around he and Kirk. Kirk asks, but what about the aliens? Spock says they were just taking credit for a natural phenomenon. They shut down the nacelles of the ship, and the skin around the ship dissolves away in time for them to see they arrived at a planet. They see the planet has life and is quite beautiful. They also see the strange little red aliens are moving towards the planet. They assume it's the little alien's world. They can't start the nacelles back up to move the ship for fear of the skin forming again. Spock uses the ship's scanners and main computer to determine that the planet is close to Class M, but not quite. The same gas that enveloped them in the black skin is also in the planet's atmosphere and is poisonous to human life. Kirk decides to beam down to the planet in spacesuits to establish contact with the aliens that tried to abduct the Enterprise. They will pursue their mission of alien contact despite the demonstrated dangers. They find the lush forests are somehow nourished by the cloud of gas, for when they transition to a part of the planet without the gas, the landscape is barren and pot-marked with craters. Spock and Kirk see the red entities from the earlier 
from their earlier encounter going into a dome of black skin just into the desolated area. They seem to have fearful looks on their faces as they enter the black dome. Kirk and Spock look up and see meteors raining down towards them from the sky. Will Kirk and Spock be crushed crushed by this rocky barrage? Next week, crushed? Okay, so that's the end of the, the first five. As you can see, uh, this thing is double the size of a normal uh, storyline. So I figured I'd better... I was, just, I was just going on and on and on and said, okay, i got to take a break. <laughs> so, okay, I've taken the break. Let's discuss what we've read so far, shall we? The little creatures, they look like... Um, what they look like to you? Uh, well, they looked a little, a little fragile and wispy, almost like a little uh, Tinkerbell or something. But they've, they're red, and they've got these round, kind of weird-looking heads. Right. It, so it, it reminded you of something specific? Yeah, they reminded me of the, um, the, the painting Scream, or The Scream, by uh, Edward oh. Munch. You know, where it has oh, gotcha. the guy with, I mean, he's white and not, not, not red. Right. But he has the same shaped head with the big eyes and the, and the open mouth. Oh, gotcha! Right, and right. And kind of uh, wispy looking with the, with long long hands and arms. Thin. There you go. So yeah. that's what I kept thinking of when I was reading this: is just that these look like little red versions of of that guy. Okay, yeah, I kind of see that. Uh, I've I've got I've got an emoticon that's patterned after that uh, that painting. Yeah, they do kind of look like that. So they looked cool, but uh, I was really confused on this planet, though. So the planet is not encased in a giant bag <laughs> a giant well, trash bag but it's it's covered with a giant blue cloud they keep saying um well that's keeping it warm and stuff i don't know so there's this cloud of this gas this magic gas which is around the planet or maybe not all the planet anyway it's on the planet to some degree and it also goes out into space it apparently goes far enough into space that the Enterprise would be enveloped. Well, okay. So, so there's gases out there. And they're saying when there's a power field or something in it, it coalesces it into like this, 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 this black skin. Right. And, uh, and apparently this, this thing is far enough out away from the planet that the Enterprise was enveloped it, and they're tooling around, and they have no idea what's going on for, what, hours? Right. Uh, a day or something? Yeah, they, they think that the sensors have gone out. Exactly. they can't see anything outside the window. Exactly. But, I mean, they have, they have windows, so they could just look out and say, oh, yeah, the sensors are right. They it's, do have windows. There's window. nothing out there. Exactly. They do have windows, and they, they've established that in previous issues. But, uh, oops... Uh, they don't know about it until they do a spacewalk. Right. And and why is Kirk and Spock doing this? Don't they have, like, engineering teams, I repair teams? I did like teams? how Spock actually calls him out on this, on that one. Because when Kirk says, let's go out there, Spock's like, don't we have people to do this? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. I was like, yes, you have people to do everything that you guys do. <laughs> Including security teams and exploratory right. teams for you know planetary exploration. I thought that was funny. Yeah, well, it is funny, and it's like okay, so you, so the aliens have telekinesis and they're able to influence uh, Kirk's writing hand. Okay, great, but it makes it seem 
like they're able to influence Kirk's mind if they're able to get Kirk to go with Spock to the outside of the ship. Right. I mean, doesn't it seem like that's what's happening? But they don't explain that. Nope, they don't. They don't explain much in this one. Yeah. Like I said, I in one page they're like, "Oh, there's a planet here. Let's let's go down and check it out." And then when they get down there, they're like, "There's this weird blue cloud that can open up and allow, you know, meteors to come through." And I'm like, "You never mentioned you had to go through a I mean, how did the ship get through the the blue cloud?" Yeah. You know, if there's this blue cloud that opens up to real space and then let stuff come out. N- nowhere did it say that before then, did it? When the when the Enterprise lost its plastic bag. Right. They never <laughs> said we're stuck in a uh, we're stuck in a blue cloud. They said, "Oh, we're we're above a planet that we didn't right. even know about." Yeah, exactly. And and I thought they could see down to the planet's surface. Well, they can because they yeah. scanned it and got some very detailed pictures from the ground, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, and by the way, they, they do have a very big screen TV all of a sudden. I mean, bigger than the normal... And it's got a nice little frame around it. It looks like it's got a nice little wooden frame. And <laughs> uh, it looks almost like a painting. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's, that's it's very nice. It was Star Trek. It's very nice. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's... So I was really Just, confused. Pa- from from week to week, I was like, I think maybe they changed their mind maybe halfway, <laughs> halfway through well, this. So uh, it's a weekly thing, right? So this thing took two months to unfold. Right. So they probably did change their way, their, their mind along the way. Speaking of changing, how about colors of uniforms and spacesuits? I know that Kirk wears a red shirt at one point. Um, oh, and a green one, too. Oh, does he? Oh, yeah, yeah there it is. Yeah, so, so the... There's one point in issue 23 uh, where Ahura is in a lime green uh, uniform. Right. And then Kirk's like like in the background and he's got a lime green uh, uniform. And it's, it's very lovely. Um, completely inconsistent. And then um, in issue 26 they show her again and she's got a red tunic on, which is completely right. So... And that's not the only place. More egregious than that, um, take a look at Spock's lime green spacesuit. Which in twenty three? Uh, this one is it twenty three? I think it's in twenty three. Yeah, twenty three is when he puts it on, and then in the next one it turns gray. Well, okay, yes. So it's green. Which first off, the green color looks lovely. Don't think it's Starfleet regulation color. Um, and then when they're and of course Kirk's in like a like a red orange one or something, and when they're out in space, there are multiple panels where it turns into white or mm-hmm. maybe light gray. So you know what it might be. It might be because they're they leave the the interior which has lights, and then they're, now they're inside. They're outside, which is inside of a plastic bag, which. Yeah, <laughs> isn't getting any starlight or anything. So maybe that's how they're depicting. There's no light out here. No. Okay. Well, but there's definitely a panel where Kirk has his orange red spacesuit on, and Spock, who is right next to him, has a white one on. On twenty four. Uh, yeah, twenty four. Mm. Yeah, and get to there. I have more to say. 
I have lots to say about this whole spacewalk thing. Yeah, I'm on here. I'm looking. I don't see him ever having color on his on his suit until the the fire guy shows up. But okay, go ahead. Well, okay, so look. Okay, so look at twenty three. Twenty three. Yes, he's orange. Twenty four. They're always okay, hold on. They're always white. The bottom of twenty three. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, okay. Where you write Spock must die. So, uh, well, uh, yeah. So definitely, uh, I must kill Spock. That's definitely lime green Spock and orange red Kirk. Um, as you go to the left, lime green Spock, orange red Kirk. Go yeah, to the left, then you have Kirk in orange, and you've got uh, Spock in white. Go right. further to the left, and they're both in white. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying now. So you know, at first I was thinking, okay, maybe this is. Yeah, from, from depending on how the light is bouncing off of them and something, okay, maybe it looks whitish, but then they're mixed in the same panel. It, anyway, so uh, definitely some consistency in coloration is not right. Um, I was also kind of wondering, uh, since I was taking such a close look at these panels, w- the one where Kirk is... Um, Red and Spock is is white colored. Um, what's that stuff hanging around Kirk's butt? I think that's a rope and well, a harpoon looking thing. Well, I, yeah. I at at first when I saw that, I didn't know what the heck that was. I mean, what that that harpoon looking thing? I mean, was that like some kind of um, you know, some kind of uh, jet drive or something, some kind of uh, butt-placed movement of air uh, <laughs> that that would move him around. Uh, and it's like, I I figured maybe not, maybe not. But, uh, yeah. But then later in the next issue, it's definitely a rope. So Yeah, I you agree can see it in, in, in the panel before that and the, in that last panel. You can kind of see where it's floating away from his body, uh, yep, the harpoon yep. is. And at the beginning of the next issue... Um, you can definitely see that both Spock and Kirk have some kind of rope uh, at, at their side, uh, which okay, that makes si- that makes a lot of sense if you're doing a spacewalk having a tether. That mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense, but they're not using it. It's not tethered, did he? Exactly. Uh, anyway, but Kirk still has that other thing hanging off his butt in the next issue, at the beginning of right. issue twenty-four. Right. I'm still wondering what that is. Um, yeah. And then where do you get the post or the pole? I mean, when they leave, they, they don't show any poles in anybody's hands. And then the first time when they're both in white spacesuits, magically, mm-hmm. they've got two... Each of them look like they have boxes that they're carrying. But I don't see any pole. Um, but then in the next scene, or the next panel, uh, Kirk is carrying some kind of a... maybe a three-foot-long cylindrical thing. Right. So it's like, okay, well, but never saw that before. And then it, then by the end of the issue, that thing has gotten longer, uh, <laughs> and he's using it to. What does it have ink in it? Um, I, how is he, or is he scraping the the, the deuterium hull uh, to be able to to write? I must kill Spock. He's scraping the paint off. Yeah. He's oh, he's scraping the paint off. Well, I think somebody's going to have to pay for that, Mister. <laughs> So the aliens can control objects, but not minds, right? Or at that's least what I thought. But how do they know English? 
well, and to how be they... able to write the word Spock or I must kill Spock. I agree. So they must be controlling his brain to well, they must. translate those impulses exactly. into English words. Yeah. And, yeah, I agree with that. Now, so Kirk is actually yield... He's about to hit Spock with the pole. So, so Kirk doesn't want to attack Spock, but they're actually using telekinesis to move his body and this pole thing. Right. Yeah, okay. Huh. Okay, well, whatever. Okay. Um, so can the ship stay in orbit of a planet without using its engines? Because I would think that... Yeah, well, if you get into an orbit, you know, but... if you establish... if But they never said they did. So if you establish an orbit, you'll just continue to be in that orbit um, right. for a certain amount of time, and then it'll eventually start to degrade, and it'll start spinning, and you know it'll start coming closer to the planet. Right. But for a while, they should be fine without power. But nobody ever said they established orbit. Right. And they were just flying blindly while they were in the bag, yep. so why did they not just plummet into the planet? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, usually you want to actually do specific things to establish an orbit. Which, how could they have done that if they had, if they were in the bag? And then right. when the bag went away and the engines were turned off, well, they they can't maneuver into a, a, an orbit. But these are details we don't want to think about. <laughs> I did have a Star Trek V moment when these little alien guys were saying, um, we're superior to you and everything, except we don't know how to make a ship. <laughs> Is uh, you know Spock's whole line about? Or no, it was Kirk who said, "Why does God need a starship?" Exactly, exactly. Good point. I did not put that together. Good, good job. All right, you want to finish it, or do you have? More? Um, I have one th- more thing to say. There okay. is a word balloon mistake, I think. So if you go to the cell where the uh, the glad bags start to form around. Um, Kirk and Spock. Mm-hmm. There's um, there's there's a narration thing that says then as Kirk watches, and then uh, you know he uh, Kirk says Spock a membrane is forming around him, the alien I guess, just like the ones that's trapping the ship. Okay. And then the next balloon, it's coming from the little red alien, says, yes, it's happening to us too. Now, Mm. that is Kirk speaking to Spock. And who responds to Kirk should be Spock. But the word balloon is coming from the alien. Right, because he's shocked that he's getting engulfed too. Oh, okay. (laughs) I totally see what you're saying. I, I'm gonna. I think it's a word balloon mistake that should be coming out of Spock's face. Yeah. So that the but, the one in the top left hand corner should be the one saying that that should be Kirk, and then the second one should be going to the middle guy, which is Spock. Fine. Maybe. Fine. I don't know. Whatever. I mean, the main thing is the little red alien guy shouldn't say yes, but it's happening to us too. I mean, I guess he could be saying that, but why would he be surprised about that? I mean, he's lived... Yeah, but they don't have starships, so maybe they didn't know that a phaser strike from a starship would stick them in a bag. 
<laughs> maybe not, maybe not. Um, but it's amazing how a full, a point-blank phaser strike would do nothing to these guys. No, they're tough. Are, are they not? Are they not physical? I mean, are they not made of matter? You cut them, and do they not bleed? I don't well, know. They are, they are able to communicate, breathe, and float in space without any assistance. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Damn it. You're right. Okay. Okay. That's all I'd say about that. All right. Part. Let's see what happens with these asteroids. <sighs> exactly. Kirk and Spock run towards the Black Dome. Of course, remember, Kirk and Spock are on the, on the planet. And they're getting an asteroid strike coming down. The aliens let them into the dome and activate an invisible force field that protects them from meteoroid bombardment. The alien leader, named Lucian, explains his people call themselves the Khans. He explains there are actually two races on the planet, and it is the other race, called the Balance, who tried to take over the Enterprise. The Khans are peaceful and inventive, while the Balance are warriors blunt instruments. An hour passes and finally the meteor bombardment is over. They drop the force field and venture out of the dome to assess the damage, but are driven back in when the balance come on the scene. The city's force field is again raised. The balance leader gets his people to levitate the meteors strewn on the ground and pile them up on top of the dome's force field. With the heavy rocks covering the dome, the Balin leader thinks he can more easily take over the Enterprise with its two leaders out of the picture. With Kirk and Spock out of the way, the aggressive Balin soldiers rise upward to begin their attack on the starship. Meanwhile, Kirk contacts the ship and orders Sulu and Bailey to pilot a shuttle down to the planet and use the shuttlecraft's phasers to carefully blast away the rocks that cover Khan's city. Soon enough, most of the asteroids are blasted off the dome, and those trapped inside emerge. The Khan leader warns Kirk the Balance have powerful weapons that take power from the planet's trees, just like the Khans use to run their city and shields. Kirk warns the ship and says they are returning as fast as they can. The Balans reach the ship and put what appears to be black suction cups on multiple portal windows. The material begins to glow and starts to allow the mysterious gas into the ship. The black skins of evil begin to form around Uhura and other members of the bridge crew. The bridge crew cannot get free of the black skins forming around them, so they call to Kirk, who orders them to seal the glass portal ruptures with the autoglazer, and fast. It works as the gas content decreases, the skins around the crew begin to dissolve as the balent leader enters the ship and marches onto the bridge. Spock observes that their planetary atmosphere is deadly to humans, so maybe a Class M atmosphere is deadly to the Balance. Kirk orders the crew to alter life support, to double oxygen output. The oxygen-rich atmosphere does the trick, and the invading Balance leader begins to disintegrate into a red and orange fountain of goo. Kirk and Spock return to the ship and find Dr. McCoy and the rest of the crew unharmed. 
Kirk puts his spacesuit helmet back on and goes out to tell the rest of the Balance that their leader is dead and that they will eventually learn how to take their atmosphere with them into space. But until then, back off and stay on your own planet. While they are at it, they should try to get along with the cons, and maybe together they can eventually figure out space travel. The Enterprise leaves orbit, and when they get far enough from the planet, the black skin that again formed when the engines engaged, dissolve. Ship and crew are off to the next thrill-packed adventure. There you go. Nice. Eight parts. Eight parts. Did that really need to be eight parts? Right. Well, it it ends up only being about 16 pages, so (sighs) it's not that long. It's kind of long. It's (laughs) kind of long. Uh, So when the uh, poor little alien turned into goo, that was pretty... Pretty intense. <laughs> Pretty graphic. His eyes are like, what's going on? I feel bad for him. I don't feel bad for him. He was a jerk. He, he was the leader that was trying to get everybody to take over the Enterprise in the first place. Sure, sure. But that was a gooey way to die. <laughs> yeah. Ooey gooey. Now that, now that is going to need somebody to clean up. Uh, whatever room that was. It was the bridge, wasn't it? Was it the bridge? Yeah. Yeah. Yuck. And and by the way, why 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 did he have to go alone? I mean, there's a lot of stuff I didn't include in this synopsis, which was long enough as it is, about oh, we need a trailblazer, a pathfinder, whatever, blah blah blah. And they're going to vote, and then the, then the leader guy said, "No, I'm it, I'm it." So he's going to go in alone and take over the ship. Come on, doesn't doesn't make yeah, a lot of sense through just intimidation, I guess. Yes, he was going to use his pencil control powers to overtake a ball. <laughs> He made them all right, I give up. <laughs> exactly. And figured that would be legally yeah, binding. Yeah, it's a legally binding contract. It's my <laughs> ship now. You signed the deed. It's right there. <laughs> that makes as much sense as Dark Knight Rises, which, uh, you know, where Bane did all the the stock transactions and somehow those were legal. Yeah. Yeah. You're not supposed to think of these things, Ken. Just keep going. Exactly. Read that next page. That's it. So, how do you like it? The Galileo 7 makes yeah. its entrance. Looks just like it. It does. Even I mean, right down to the registry. NCC 1701 7. No space bug anymore. No space bug. Uh, did they call it a shuttle? Uh, no, they sure. just kept calling it the Starship Galileo. Oh, In they fact, call when it a Starship? First, when they first hmm. mentioned it, I thought, there's another ship? And then and I realized they were talking about the shuttle. There you go. Anyway, there's the real shuttle. Uh, you know, I kind of dug the reuse of uh, the Thunderbird stuff, but really, that's that's the shuttle, baby. It's so ugly. It's so ugly, kid. I used to like it. I never I liked it. Like I always it. like, oh, it looks like a shoebox. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it served its purpose. And, and the fact that they built a, a life-size practical one to put on... You know, in the quarry or wherever they were going to film that alien landscape. I mm-hmm. mean, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Okay, you're about Galileo Seven, the episode Galileo Seven. Yeah, or any time they showed the right. Shuttle. So, so that episode really needed to have the shuttle, and they needed to be able to be in it and be out it and that kind of stuff. So it did, did need to be full size. So right. they basically looked at their budget 
And they said, huh, what can we afford to build? And then it basically turned into a shoebox, yes. <laughs> with, with pretty much room for like six people to be able to be in it, and not much more. So all of the, um, the, the power source, the, the power generation, the engines, you know, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of room inside there to make sense for all the, all the stuff. Oh, right. That, that makes you know, it go? That makes it go. The, the life support system, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, whatever. That's what I grew up with. I love it. Nah. I, it. I had a model. I had a couple of models of the Galileo 7. Were they all 7, or did you make some like the Galileo 8? Uh, Copernicus it's so, or it's whatever so it long ago. <laughs> Copernicus. It's so long ago, I, I think the only model available was the Galileo 7. I think. Right. Uh, I didn't, I didn't I, know if you were a modder and you would actually go in there and repaint oh, it. But no, are you kidding? I was a kid. I, 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 I almost never painted anything. I just made them the way they came out of the box. Right. <laughs> use the stickers. I just used the stickers. That's right. And, and yeah, which, but, which was okay because they were white. I mean, they were white plastic. Sure. Uh, you know, in the model kit. Yeah, that's that's the way my enterprises were when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah. And, of course, the first thing that would break is the nacelle. But uh, yeah, and then I had the Ecto one. That was my that was my other model that I did when I was Ecto? a kid. Oh, uh, yeah, from Ghostbusters? Uh, Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah, okay. Which gotcha. was very convenient that it was white and white plastic, so right. I didn't I didn't have to paint it. But it did look weird because all the crap on top of the Ecto one was also white in, in my version. Right, <laughs> so I did paint it. All. Yeah, eh, whatever. I'm looking at the alien I did back when I was uh, in junior high or so. I still have it. Oh. An alien from Aliens. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, my paint job on it was I uh, I painted the alien itself like a, um, like a glossy black and mm-hmm. then the, uh, the teeth a uh, um, m- uh, silver color. Okay. And the rest is just plastic. <laughs> the base and there's a little egg next to it. It's just all oh, okay. raw plastic. Right, right. <laughs> but you know what? It's been setting up here in my in my various rooms for forty years, so it's, wow. it's held the, the the test of time. That is amazing. That Maybe is not amazing. quite forty. I'm not quite that old, but no, pretty close. No. Thirty years, thirty plus years. Well, so uh, we're we're not going to continue talking about this because nobody cares. Yeah, but exactly. um, I still have my flying sub from my childhood. Flying sub from what? Flying sub from uh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Ah. I still have it. So, you've got your alien. I've got my flying sub. There you go. Why would we hold on to these things? Because they're cool? Yeah. I had a snow speeder, too, but it was all busted up, so I threw it out. Mm. All right. I have a Millennium Falcon somewhere in a box in the garage that I never finished. Oh, Okay. (laughs) Because that was going to be the one that I put together. It was huge, too. I was going to put it together. I was going to paint it. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. I, I think I tried to paint it. It looked like crap, so I quit. Right. <laughs> so I, I I applaud the people who can do that kind of stuff, and it looks so fantastic. That oh, the, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, so they have, like, like, um, like airbrushes and yeah, stuff, exactly. and, you know, uh, as opposed to those little bottles of testers paint and the <laughs> exactly and right. the brushes were so rough i mean you could see the strokes everywhere it's just nah anyway. when uh when i was a kid 
at the comic book store, they had a, a big model on display. And somebody had taken, I think it was like the uh, the Enterprise A mm-hmm. kit from maybe Star Trek Two or so, okay. and they had um, they had customized it where they like carved out some of the saucer section to make it look like the Enterprise blowing up in Star Trek Three. Oh, okay. And I mean, they even went back and like added little decks and stuff like that and and showed it all on flames and stuff like that it looked fantastic i was always so in awe that somebody could just take this you know white plastic enterprise Uh and then turn it into something that looks like like it like it was from the movie or something like that very cool very cool so anyways back to this issue so it's it yeah and that's in the true spirit of uh, the Doomsday Machine episode of Taz. You know what? Maybe that's what it was, and not the. I'm pretty sure it was the the, the square in its cells, though, not the round ones. Okay, well, cool. But I mean, my point is, they actually took an A. Was it AMC? AMT? I don't know. Oh, really? Oh, really? They actually took a model kit, and you know, did the uh, Bic lighter on it <laughs> to kind of melt the uh, the nacelles and things. Um, that's how they did. They got some of the shots of the constant uh, constellation. Yeah. Constellation. There you go. Yeah, it was what NCC seventeen seventeen or something like that. Ooh, that's pretty cool. If if that's it, yeah, and you remember, yeah, it was something. It was it was close to Enterprise registration, but not the same, obviously. Right. Huh. Yeah. I I know that in the Star Trek um, one with Kelsey Grammer in it, the Next Generation. Mm-hmm. I think I read that they used commercially bought Enterprise D um, models to blow up over and over again. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Okay. Instead of you know blowing up their their right. actual props. And did they just modify? Wasn't wasn't Kelsey Grammer and something that looked an awful lot like a like a, like a Reliant? A Reliant, yeah. With extra stuff on it. I don't remember that much. Yeah. I just remember it looked Reliant-esque. Yes, exactly. Still using Reliance that far down the line. A hundred. Well, years no, that later. was no, it was stuck in a time loop for a hundred years. Oh, that's right. You're right. Yeah, and he wanted uh, Christy Alley to be on the bridge. Yeah, but with, well, hold on a as, second. As, uh, but hold on a second. That. No, you're right. Okay, fine. You're right. You're right. It, it was from the movie era. It was a movie right. ship. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. And they were in the red tunics from Star Trek right. 2. Okay. Gotcha. What about Christy Alley? Um, he wanted, Kelsey Grammer wanted uh, Christy Alley to be on the bridge with him. Oh. Uh, and, and to imply that her Savick has been in this time loop, that it, that it took place sometime after Star Trek 3. Oh. And that uh, it, she's now, Savick cool. is now Christy Alley again. Because they're both from the same show. Uh, yeah. Cheers. Right. And but, uh, Yeah, but I read that somewhere uh, Gene Roddenberry wouldn't let him do it. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Or somebody oh, wouldn't let him do it. Lighten up. Lighten up. Well, I mean, I guess if they had plans for in another movie that never panned out, maybe right. that's why. Yeah, yeah. They didn't want to shoehorn her in saying that she's been stuck in a time loop for 80 years. <laughs> right. <laughs> Anyway. All right, back to this issue. Back to this issue. Um, yeah. I don't really have anything else to say. I think. Um, oh, I do have one more. Can I say one more thing? Sure. 
All right, so when you think of Star Trek, what's the three top characters you think of? Uh, uh, three top characters of, of what what generation? Uh, Star Trek, the original Star Trek. Oh, Taz? Yeah. Well, is this a trick question? Nope. Well, of course, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Exactly. So McCoy doesn't make his first appearance in these comic strips until this story. We've no. gone through... We've really? gone through they five other stories. No, this is the first time he showed up. Well, he was definitely in these stories. Or in this one. He's, uh, he's in this one. Oh, he, they never used him before? Uh-uh. Oh, boy. Oh, that's okay. I didn't notice that. Yeah, no, he doesn't show up until this one when Kirk's like, oh, I'm writing weird stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, McCoy was very involved when the uh, alien guy tries to take the ship, comes on right. board the ship. I think he was the one that, that altered the uh, life support system to produce more oxygen. Uh, possibly. Possibly. Well, that is an interesting point, Donovan. But, yeah. Now that you mention it, I... he must have popped up at some point in someone. No? I don't think he did. Okay, okay. Huh, cool. Well, um... That's great. They finally got with it. So they, they got a real shuttlecraft, and they got McCoy on. Yay. Right. Oh, last thing, Autoglazer. Yeah, that's kind of cool. <laughs> it's kind of cool? Okay. So I'd never heard of an Autoglazer before. Um, so I just did a little search, and apparently, and the only auto, I mean, there were a couple things that talked about Autoglazing, but the only thing that had to do with... Um, with glass was from a UK website and they advertised auto glazer services. So Hmm. for repairing, I mean, so this was a a company that, that replaced uh, glass and repaired glass. And they, they referred to the repairing of the glass as auto glazing. I mean, you can get your, as long as it isn't too, too badly cracked, you can get your uh, most cracks in automotive windshields, uh, fixed rather than replacing the entire piece of glass. So maybe that's the kind of process is auto glazing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but uh, it doesn't matter because they're supposed to be transparent aluminum. It's not supposed to be glass. Anyway. Well, it was a it was a porthole that they went through, right? Well, yeah, but they use transparent aluminum. They don't use glass. In oh, oh, right, right, right. I don't think they had transparent aluminum at this point, or at least it wasn't canon yet. Well, okay. Okay, I agree with that. I agree with that. But of and course, they didn't have the, those force field things like they have in Next Generation. Yeah, but then JJ brought back the glass because they were showing cracks oh, yeah, in the cracks uh, in it, yeah. and it wasn't a viewport; it was glass, <laughs> right? Or it was made of some material that cracks like glass. Yeah, transparent aluminum could probably crack. Well, it's it's metal; it's going to bend, right? Right. So. Maybe. Uh, oh. Yeah. I don't know. I watched some video here recently of somebody that uh, put an aluminum can into some sort of acid, and then when they pulled it out, it was like plastic. It was clear. It was like a clear plastic uh, can. It, oh, that's interesting. So, I mean, even our, they our, made, our they, aluminum can somehow turn They out. made it transparent aluminum. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but, boy, you would not want to build your ship out of it because <laughs> <laughs> it looked paper thin. Oh, okay. So did he actually try to 
put any pressure on the outside of it? I mean, did uh, it... they picked it up out of the acid and then they kind of like set it down and then it just kind of folded in on itself and then they oh. kind of like, played around <laughs> by holding it up and down. Yeah, yeah, that's no, that's I don't think that's a Scotty way to do it. Nah, but it was kind of cool to watch somebody do it. Yeah, cool. Okay, and it was on the internet, so you know it was real. Well, of course. <laughs> they wouldn't try to fake anything on the internet. So yeah, the auto glazer. I thought it was kind of a cool way to to explain how they would do it. Even though, even in Star Trek the original series, they had force fields because when they would open up the shuttle bay, nobody flew out. <laughs> right. Or did they? Or did they? And the old um, one, they just showed it like opening up, and then the shuttle bay would come out. They never showed it open while you were in the shuttle bay. With it in the background, yeah, they, did they? I don't think they ever did. So I, I think I think the I well, they didn't have the budget for it. But sure. if you actually want to justify it, I think it might have been the thing where they may have depressurized the shuttle bay, and exactly. then you, and then the ship leaves, and then it would open up, you know, with right. that like garage door opener, exactly to the side. So someone would, yeah, somebody presses the thing on the visor, and uh, it would open up. And, uh, yeah, I don't think it was still Star Trek. What Star Trek: The Motion Picture, where they would show the shuttle base open and people in there, and not getting sucked out on uh, the space station and things like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure exactly when the first time you saw uh, that scene in Star Trek. Although definitely Star Wars, they had many scenes. Yeah, uh, Star Wars like had. Yeah, they made it very clear that those were force fields at the at the opening. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, because the Death Star had. It. I believe the little, so. The little, the little blue light, and there was stormtroopers standing there waiting. Right. Good point. So maybe they did it first, and then the motion picture followed suit. Uh, I think it's very possible. Makes a lot of sense. Don't want to mess with uh, depressurizing. Yeah, that was so ships can get back and out. Long, and out. Take a long time. Yep. I know in Star Trek Five, when Sulu crashes the suit, the ship into the shuttle bay, they don't shut the doors; they just jump out. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Crash. That's it. Anyways, what else? That's it. That's all I have to say. All right. Okay, so uh, next week, what are we doing, Donovan? Uh, we're going to do some John Byrne uh, Star Trek New Visions 8 and 9. Mm, there you go. Okay, we'll get back to that. I think, and, uh, and I'll be able to tell you that I actually saw Shatner and John Byrne at the same time. Oh, a weeks. oh really? At the, they shared the stage or something? They did share the stage. I didn't get to make that one because that one they were charging extra for. Uh-huh. And, you know, with the kids and stuff, I was like, I'm not going to pay extra to drag the kids to something like that. Right. But, uh, but for the normal William Shatner one, uh, mm-hmm. John Byrne did come out and introduce Shatner. To oh, cool. So, that's great. Uh, and that's the extent of that conversation. So now I won't have anything to talk about next week, Ken. <laughs> okay, so you what you went to uh, a Dallas uh, con? Yeah, it was the 2019 Dallas uh, Fan Expo. Nice. Used to be called Dallas Comic Con, but yeah, I, I know they can't call it that anymore. Yeah, the the one in Phoenix is coming up at the end of May, and they they used to call it Comic Con, but they now call it the Phoenix Fan Fusion. Mm. So. So anyways, I thought it was cool that John Byrne and, and Shatner were doing something together. Cool. And that's great that, you know, Byrne would be like, oh, yeah, I'd love to introduce him. That's great. Yeah, and he was also plugging their their joint uh, their joint panel later. Ah, okay. It was kind of funny. 
He's like, I know you don't know who I am. <laughs> of course we do. Are you kidding? Yeah, I was telling my wife. I was like, that's John Byrne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, at the very least, I recognize him from a few, a few New Vision episodes. Oh, where he just shows up in the background? Or as well, a no, random he, captain or something like that? Well, he was also that crazy guy, right? That yeah, prospector? Right. Oh, yeah, that's right, right. Yeah, yeah he, right. he's put himself in a few. Yeah, all right. Okay. So, yeah, so we'll do eight and nine of that. Uh, they're both pretty long stories, so uh, I think two would be more than enough. They're like 30-plus pages long okay. each. Sounds good. Yep, so sounds good. I think the uh, number eight is uh, looks like a continuation of that Android one. Um, the one where they had the replicas that looked, and Lurch was in it. What episode oh, was that? Lurch. You remember? <laughs> Uh, what, two, what, what, 288? What? Episode 288? Or you no, 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 Taz? No, the actual Taz episode. I think, wasn't, wasn't Lurch in what little girls are made that's, of or something? That's what I thought it, that's what I thought it was. So yeah. yeah, so this looks like it's a continuation of that, of that story. Oh, okay. So maybe I should rewatch that one before I read these, but I probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> because I got a life, I'm busy. Okay. And uh, let's see, nine uh, has Spock on the cover screaming out, Pain. Okay. So good. that one will be a good one. Well, you know it's always a good one where Spock does that. On the cover, exactly. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to reading these with you, Ken. Yeah, so am I. So we'll see you guys next time on the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.